In the name of one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. When I was in seminary, I remember one of the most impassioned conversations that took place was one about the movie The Exorcist. To be fair, it was really a conversation about the nature of evil. And this wasn't a classroom conversation. Instead, it was where all the best conversations took place. Picture it. Sicily. Okay, not Sicily. Northern Virginia, 2006. The common room of the residence hall. The exorcist, good and evil. And one person said something to the effect of this. I get it. People do things they shouldn't do. And people don't do things that they should do. People do bad things. Still, I mean, it isn't like there's some detached, non-discriminatory power. That stuff isn't real. God is just missing. And the other person said something to the effect of, What? 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 And that person, the aghast person, which wasn't me, the aghast person pulled out a book of common prayer because that's what you pull out in seminary disagreements and then began the recitation of the language of holy baptism. Do you renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? Do you renounce the evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God? I watched this tennis break point that ensued. Anyway, I've thought about that conversation a lot and the letter to the Ephesians as well. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against a spiritual wickedness in high places. And also what we hear today in the gospel passage about Jesus, Jesus, the exorcist. Here is Jesus, the rabbi, teaching in the synagogue with authority, and that we'll come back to, and here is a man with an unclean spirit. I mean, what exactly does that mean? With my limited knowledge of science and medicine, I might say uh, maybe he's suffering from undiagnosed mental illness, or maybe he has an untreated fetish, or maybe a seizure disorder. Surely he's not, like, actually possessed, doesn't have the evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God. But this isn't the only time demon possession comes up in the Bible. We see some reference to the Greek terminology 21 different times in the New Testament. So I have to step back and really think to myself, do I know evil? Have I ever seen evil? I lived a privileged life, though not a particularly sheltered life. I can't shake that I feel like I have seen evil before, and I've seen it in many different forms. I've seen God's created beings confined in ways that seem to be other than, that have at their root 
no reasonable explanation. I will forever have etched in my memory a month in Honduras and the drive to our little Rose's orphanage from the airport. And there were barefoot children, young children, scavenging for food atop mounds of putrefied garbage. Here were God's beloved who were victims of the combination of poverty and political malfeasance, bound by evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God. I won't forget leaving Northern Virginia from my beautiful tree-lined, immaculately manicured by people of color campus and arriving in a completely obliterated New Orleans from Hurricane Katrina and spending days in areas devastated, devastated by years of neglect and contemptible racism. I couldn't discern the difference between what was ravaged by stormwaters and what had just become another storm in the segregated South. I could feel where people were bound by evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God. I was subpoenaed during my first curacy to testify in court to the abuse of a child, a young child, abuse that I had witnessed. And I remember listening to the other witnesses and realizing that what I had seen was not isolated. And what I had seen was minor in comparison to the horrors that had been going on behind closed doors for years. And I remember as I sat in that witness chair and I looked over to the accused and thankfully eventually sentenced and seeing these vacant eyes, dull and dead. That's not just on television and in mystery novels. That is a real thing. And I could feel the death of this creature of God. I could go on and on and on. And are these examples unexplainable? Well, of course they're not. There are dozens and dozens of explanations that include entitlement, racism, sexism, corruption, illiteracy, systemic neglect, and poverty. But the question for me always comes back to why. Why? Why do we do what we do not wish to do? And why do we rebel against God? The reality is that there seems to be endless variations of our bondage to sin and death. And it does seem, to me anyway, that some are beyond our control. And I think this is why Mark has Jesus opposing or facing, actually, the demons at the very start of his public ministry. What have you to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth, the demoniac shouts to Jesus. Have you come to destroy us? Well, in this one person, Jesus encounters the multiplicity of evil, of brokenness and sin and death. And Jesus says the words that send evil away, be silent and come out of him. And Mark writes, 
and the unclean spirit convulsing in him and crying in a loud voice came out of him. They knew that Jesus had come for business. And that business was God's business. That business was to crush them. When Jesus comes, he brings with him the entire weight and power and authority of God's kingdom. When Jesus comes, he does what he does, not because he's more interesting than the other scribes or the other uh, rabbis, not because he studied harder, not because he's more interesting, not because he has an advantage that other kids didn't have growing up. Jesus shakes up everything he touches because his words are the very words of God, God's self. They are the words that usher in a paradigm shift of the balance of power in the world forever. And this passage it starts with Jesus' authority and it wraps up with Jesus' authority. And this isn't institutional authority. It's not authority given to him by any earthly body, not the, not the government, not the church. And Mark says they were astounded by his teaching for he taught with authority. And he goes on to say it was a new teaching a teaching with authority. And the authority doesn't come with a collar, with a title, with where he went to school. This is about an authority that Jesus has because he is fully human and he is fully divine. This is the authority Jesus has because of his relationship with God as God's son and as God's self. The authority that Jesus has is as a trusted rabbi, a friend, a teacher, and that, my friends, is relational authority. He brings relational authority to life, an authority that he has because he is. And it's an authority that we have as well because of who we are. Jesus is the Savior and Redeemer of the world. He is the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's everything, everything that ever is, ever was, or ever shall be. And sometimes I'm not certain we hold Jesus with the seriousness that we should. We hold him as dear eight-pound, six-ounce newborn infant Jesus. We hold him as little boy in the temple Jesus. We hold him as Jesus Jr. in some ways. Now, everyone who knows me knows that I don't take myself very seriously. I do try to take Jesus seriously. And I don't know that we get this story. I don't know that we can get this story. I don't know that we can get Jesus' full identity. And why would we? We are on the other side of the Easter story. We've already been liberated. We're already the recipients of salvation. We know the story from a different angle. The demons, they get it. They get that God that is in Jesus is the power of the world. But everyone else, eh, 
What is this, they say? What's going on here? This wasn't supposed to happen in temple today. This is totally peculiar. And that's understandable as well, right? Because these people in Capernaum that are sitting in worship, they are in their homeland, and yet it is not. It is fully occupied territory, and they are weighed down by corruption and bribery, poverty, disease, and death. How can they recognize that this is the beginning of what will be the greatest show on earth? This is the kingdom of God come. And even as we may begin to comprehend what's happening in the story, we struggle to live like we understand, like we are people of the resurrection. And we often behave as if we don't know that God is with us and God is for us. And we battle to see the power and authority of God that is all around us and we we don't see how Jesus has gifted us with a similar relational authority in order to take our place in his transforming love. Maybe we don't see it because we're looking in all the wrong places. While we're looking for the power and authority from on high that provides us everything that we can dream up, to fulfill every wild desire that we have, we miss that Jesus is liberating us for the purpose of liberating others. That the authority that we're receiving is to force the unclean out of the world, to make what seems impossible possible, to rid the world of sin and brokenness. The work of the body of Christ is intended for the whole world. And in the Christian life, we are responsible for one another. We're accountable to one another for that transformation that each of us has been promised and is invited to experience. And those of us who are most entitled and privileged to offer this wholeness and this healing power and relational authority to all whom we encounter, especially those who are the most vulnerable and the most marginalized. We're accountable to building up God's communities of love in the kingdom of God here on earth. We're accountable and it is a privilege. I feel that evil is a power. Like I feel that love is a power, both of which we encounter in specific and tangible ways. Jesus came to teach us to live, to teach us to love, to help us to help others to learn to suffer, to get through crisis, to experience tragedy and come out on the other side. We've been created for this moment. We have the authority to free others from the bonds this world has them shackled to. We have the authority to invite them away from anything that is binding them to evil and instead to invite them to their own belovedness. Jesus has released us from everything that would keep us from the confines of our buildings 
has opened our doors to our worship spaces and to our hearts. And we are unchained, not for our own personal celebrity and honor and glory, but for change. The very, very difficult change and transformation that opens the doors to the kingdom of God for all of God's beloved.